0: Hi, I'm Dr. Anthea Rhodes, paediatrician, joining you from the Royal Children's Hospital in Melbourne for the latest episode of the RCH Kids Health Info podcast, the podcast for parents about common child health concerns. And today we're going to be talking about COVID-19 and give you an update on the latest when it comes to COVID and your kids.
1: From the Royal Children's Hospital, Melbourne, this is the Kids Health Info podcast.
0: Joining me for today's episode is our Head of General Medicine, Dr. Sarah McNabb. Thanks for joining me, Sarah. Thanks for having me. And Sarah's doing lots of work at the moment in COVID, so you're the best person to answer these questions. Before we keep talking, just a reminder to everyone that today we are recording on January the 21st, 2022, and things are changing so quickly with COVID that it's important to keep up to date with latest advice from your local government area. So, Sarah, the first thing I want to ask about today that parents are wondering, just how many kids are getting sick from COVID, particularly now that the Omicron variant is here? In our hospital, what are we seeing and what about Victoria more broadly?
1: Yeah. Thanks, Anthea. So as we've seen with adults, the Omicron variant has increased the number of children affected across Victoria. So currently today, there are about 20,000 children in Victoria who have active COVID. So it's a very large number compared with when we last spoke. Totally. Um, In hospital, we have seen our numbers increase, as you would expect, but they haven't increased to the extent that um, they have across the community. So for most children in the community, um, the symptoms are still reasonably mild. By mild, I mean that they don't need to come into hospital. About 20% of children are having um, no symptoms at all. They're picked up because they're close contacts. Yeah. And the majority of other children have symptoms like a fever or like bad cold and flu symptoms.
0: So for parents listening who might be at home with a child who's becoming unwell and they're thinking, mm, is this really COVID? Talk us through exactly what it might look like. Yeah, it's
1: very hard to differentiate from other colds and flus. So if you're in doubt, I would get your child tested. Um, but the most common symptoms are things like a fever, a sore throat, a runny nose and a cough.
0: And I've certainly read, and it's been my understanding, that since the variant has changed to Omicron from what we saw most of last year, which was Delta, the The way that it's affecting children is a bit different. Can you tell us about that? Yes. so two things
1: that have been anecdotally a little bit different, so things that we're hearing, um, are that children are more likely to get gastro symptoms, so vomiting and diarrhoea, and there have been some more children who have had croup-like symptoms.
0: Okay, so croup being that sort of noisy breathing that happens when the airway swells up that we see with other respiratory infections too, don't we? That's exactly right. And we've definitely got a Kids Health Info fact sheet about croup um, and also a podcast if people wanted to listen to that. Okay, and what about how sick they get. So the other thing that I've certainly read is that children with the Omicron variant are less likely to get severely unwell. It certainly
1: seems like that to us as a percentage of the total number. So as I said, our total numbers have gone up uh, because there are so many more children who are affected with COVID at the moment. But as a percentage, it seems to be quite a bit less than what we've seen with previous um, variants. We're waiting on hard data on that, but certainly that's our feel here at the Royal Children's Hospital.
0: Okay. And we've heard throughout the journey with COVID about complications that are less common. Um, that includes a rare inflammatory condition that we sometimes see down the track after a COVID infection. Some parents might have heard of that. And also long COVID, which is another worry for people that this might trigger something that is here for a longer period of time. What did these things look like in the setting of Omicron?
1: Yeah, so certainly with COVID, even though most children will have mild infections, some children will get more severely unwell and need to come into hospital. Um, That's not common, but it certainly does happen. Um, It's not common to be very unwell with COVID. There are some other things, as you say, that we see other than that um, particular illness at the start, you know, the respiratory illness that you can get with COVID. And one is this inflammatory condition Mm. um, that's most commonly called, the abbreviation is PIMS-TS. And that's an inflammatory condition that can come on about a month to six weeks down the track and presents usually again with fevers and some other signs of inflammation. It is very rare, um, but it does happen. And we're waiting to see really what the effect of Omicron is on that condition. With long COVID, um, we've heard particularly early on in the COVID, you um, know, experience with COVID, we heard really alarming statistics from overseas about mm, the numbers of children who yeah. were being affected. That hasn't been our experience in Australia and and more recent studies from overseas have been much more reassuring about the rates of long COVID in children.
0: And for children here in hospital, I think sometimes parents wonder, you know, perhaps we've got a whole lot of kids who are really here, who are really sick. What is actually happening? Can you tell us about the typical journey and the types of patients that we're commonly seeing at the moment on our COVID ward?
1: Most of our children who come into hospital come in for some observation, often because they haven't been drinking as well, because they've got a sore throat. Mm -hmm. But it's actually unusual for them to need support with things like oxygen or with fluids. We certainly do have children, and I know a big worry out there is for families where children have underlying medical conditions. Mm -hmm. And we certainly know that some of our more vulnerable children um, can be more vulnerable to, to lots of respiratory viruses. And when those children are impacted by COVID, we're more likely to bring them into hospital to keep a closer eye on them.
0: So can you tell us a bit more about that then, about the underlying conditions? What sort of conditions make a child more at risk of more severe illness? I know that's a worry for a lot of parents.
1: Yeah, look, they tend to be the types of conditions, again, that where children are more vulnerable to any respiratory virus. Mm-hmm. So particularly children with very serious underlying lung conditions. We haven't seen many children with asthma need to come in, which is reassuring because that affects so many children. Um, But children with underlying lung conditions or children who we, we particularly watch children who have issues with their immune system, they're children that we'll watch. One thing that is unusual with COVID is in older children and adolescents, we've seen obesity as more of a risk factor and some kids who were a bit more unwell um who's who have been obese and we really encourage as with all children who are eligible um vaccination in that context
0: can you tell us a bit about what's happening with the vaccine rollout how it's going you know what sort of numbers of kids now are, are having the vaccine and have there been any concerning flags about safety.
1: We're thrilled that we're vaccinating the the 5 to 11s or over 5s and overs now. Um, My three children were vaccinated last week. So it's a very exciting time, I think, for the kids of Victoria. Absolutely. And we've got excellent data from overseas. So over 8 million doses have been given to the 5 to 11s in the US. um, And there's excellent safety data now. So that's very reassuring. In Victoria, about 20% of the children aged 5 to 11 have already been vaccinated just a few weeks into the campaign. And again, very reassuring messages um, that we're hearing about side
0: effects. Excellent. And I know that to begin with, it was a bit tricky to get appointments. My kids are having their vaccine tomorrow, and that was yeah. the sort of soonest I could get. So, for parents out there who've had trouble perhaps finding an appointment or getting something scheduled, what sort of advice do you have about that?
1: Yeah, we certainly heard some, some from some upset parents early on, particularly with some cancellations of appointments yeah. and trouble getting appointments. Try again. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like the supp- any supply concerns that there were have eased, and there are appointments available now. So, please keep trying, particularly particularly with schools going back soon.
0: Yeah, I think as we head back into school, I don't know about you, Sarah, but I'm just sort of reluctantly starting to turn my mind to all those things, yeah. like getting perhaps some new lunch boxes, new pair of runners definitely for a couple of my kids and getting organised, so vaccination is... On my list is one of those things and really encouraging parents to think about that as well, try and get a dose on board before children go back to school.
1: Anything we can do to help this term be successful and vaccination is going to be a key part of that.
0: So vaccination is obviously, you know, a really critical measure to try and prevent the spread of COVID and prevent severe disease. But we know that lots of children have already had COVID and I'm sure many people listening would be thinking a bit about that. So there's a couple of things that I want to talk about there. Firstly, if a parent is listening and their child's recently had COVID, they might be unsure as to whether it's okay to go ahead and get the vaccine. And some people are wondering whether it's worth it, whether they need to bother.
1: Yeah. So the short answer is yes, please still get them vaccinated. The reason for that is that after infection, it's it's really unpredictable what sort of immune response you'll have, and there is evidence, um, particularly in adults, that being vaccinated uh, even after having the illness will give protection. For the future,
0: We hoped, I think, at the beginning of all this, that maybe you could get it once and then you sort of, you know, you had your magic shield and it was gone forever, a bit like chicken pox. But we're starting to see that that's not the case. Is that right?
1: That's exactly right. So we certainly do know that you can get it more than once. Um, you know, in a similar way, I, I suppose, to how you could get flu more than once. And particularly with new variants emerging, that's still a great unknown. So again, vaccination, even after you've had COVID, is really important.
0: What's your advice about when to seek help? Because I know lots of GPs are busy. busy. People might not be sure if they're actually able to get in the car and, you know, present somewhere. When should they get help and where should they go?
1: When you're diagnosed with COVID, linking in with your GP, if that's possible, is is usually a very good idea. And for most families, that's the first place that they will look. Um, a lot of GPs are able to offer telehealth to help support you, even if you're in quarantine at home. You are allowed to leave home for urgent medical help. And that includes getting in your car and driving to hospital if you need it. As always, save triple O for emergencies, but they are there and able to help um, if You're particularly worried about your child.
0: I think that's a really important message for parents, Sarah, who might have not been sure. As you say, save triple zero for emergencies. And more now than ever, our paramedics and other staff are in short supply. So um, the ambulance service is under pressure. So if you do need an ambulance, of course, call an ambulance. But otherwise, it's okay to actually get in your car and drive and present to a healthcare service. And what about care at home? So your child might not be too unwell. Um, You think, okay, I can manage this. What sorts of things? I've seen online that people are preparing. Yeah, so
1: similar, again, similar to other respiratory viruses, most of the medical care that you'll need is relatively simple. So things like paracetamol or ibuprofen, if you've got a sore throat or aches and pains, um, or if you're uncomfortable with a fever, you don't need it for a fever alone if you're otherwise comfortable Um, making sure that a child has access to things that they like to drink. Um, We've seen on, again, I've similarly seen online things like hydrolite, but actually any type of fluid that children are comfortable drinking is just fine. Um, One thing that I often get asked about is what about if only some of the children are infected and how do we protect the rest of the family? It's a really tricky one and it really will depend on your family and the home environment that you're living in. Um, for the most part, I say do the best you can, you know, keep windows open and doors open to help with ventilation if that's safe to do so in your environment. Um, if you do have space outside, spending time outside is a good idea. Um, washing your hands and having separate you know, cutlery and drinks, not sharing a drink bottle. It sounds obvious, but if your kids are anything like mine, they'll often want to share a, a drink bottle. So um, d- doing some of those relatively simple but practical measures to try and help. Um, That said it is a very contagious virus so it is very hard.
0: Yes so that kind of leads me on to a question that a lot of people have sort of got out there now and is COVID really avoidable? And in fact there's some talk in the community of people getting together for COVID parties and this idea that you know just get it over and done with. So what sort of advice do you have about that?
1: Yeah, I absolutely would not recommend getting trying no COVID to deliberately
0: don't try not to deliberately get COVID. Vaccination's a much
1: better way to try and and reduce it. But again, using sensible, practical things that we've learnt really well over the last two years. So don't go out if you're sick, get tested if you're sick. Um try and improve ventilation wherever you are. Yeah. Um try to eat outside if you're going out to a you know, to a restaurant or a cafe. It's much easier in this beautiful weather we're having recently. It is, yes. Um, for um, doing some of those those practical things, uh, washing your hands, of course, is a really important one as well.
0: And I think now that we're sort of learning that COVID can, you can catch COVID a number of times, that concept as well, that you might get it over and done with is, is looking a lot less appealing. And as you say, it's not the safest way to approach this or certainly not the way we would recommend. Exactly. So it continues to be really important and reassuring that children and particularly young children, generally have very mild symptoms, if any, in many cases from COVID. Because of that, many parents, particularly of younger children, when it comes to the question of vaccination, sort of struggle a bit with the logic and think, well... Why would I bother with a vaccine if everyone's telling me the illness is only mild?
1: Yeah, it's a really important question and one I hear often. Um, It comes back to the risk and the benefits. So yes, it will be mild in most children who are affected, but not all. And so we do see children who need to come into hospital. And even if that is just for observation, that's still very disruptive and frightening for a family. So we want to prevent that as much as we can and we've got a really safe and effective vaccine.
0: One of the biggest impacts for kids has been not just getting COVID, but actually being exposed and then having to isolate for a period of time. So if we can reduce the burden in the community, then we can take away some of that too and help to keep kids out there at school, playing sport, doing all the things that we know are really important for their health and wellbeing. That's right. We talked quite a lot about many of these things, Margie Danchin, who you and I both know, and I in, an, in another um, interview just a couple of weeks ago. So if you're listening, you might want to tune in into that if you want some really detailed conversation about the vaccine specifically and the risks and benefits pros and cons and all the um, information about data is in that discussion with Margie.
1: Yeah, just jumping in there with one extra point. So again, we talk about mild a lot and often we're talking about that from a doctor's perspective, meaning that you're not needing to come into hospital. Yeah. There are still a significant number of kids out in the community where um, they're not sick enough to come into hospital, but they're still pretty miserable with a fever and bad cough and cold symptoms. And I think most parents, if a vaccine can prevent even that type of illness, they'd choose that.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. And so we just touched a little bit on the idea of school. So I I know it's on lots of parents' minds. It's been in the media a lot just in recent days and I'm sure more so will happen over the next week as we start to get closer to return to school.
1: It's very natural that families and teachers are concerned about this. We've seen large numbers of... um, adults including teachers and children being affected over the summer break. So we're looking forward to some more information from the Department of Education about what term one's going to look like for the kids of Victoria.
0: And we absolutely plan to do another update towards the end of next week probably when we do have a better idea of is this going to involve rapid antigen testing, what sort of isolation rules will there be, You know, how are schools going to staff the situation if teachers are off sick, all of those questions that lots of people are wondering about and there's a lot of work going into at the moment to answering them so that we can all feel a bit more confident about what's going to be happening next. So the last thing that I want to chat about today, Sarah, is the Code Brown. So if there's a Code Brown at the swimming pool, (laughs) that means someone might have sort of deposited something and everyone has to exit the water. So this week when Code Brown's been talked about, my kids were like, what do you mean a Code Brown? (laughs) Obviously, that's not the type of Code Brown that is happening in hospitals across Victoria at the moment. Can you tell us what does the Code Brown mean? And for people who have, you know, children who are patients here at the RCH, do they need to be worried? How is it going to affect their care? Yeah. So a code
1: brown in the healthcare system is quite entirely different, but it does mean a large scale emergency. So in the past, we've seen this type of thing happen when there was you know, a, a train crash, for example, or, or bushfires. So something where we're expecting a large number of um, very unwell patients. And that's where we're at with the healthcare system across the board at the moment, that it was at a level where a code Brown was decided to be called for RCH specifically we're okay we're open for business don't delay seeking medical treatment because you're worried about the impact on RCH at the moment we're operating to as much of a capacity as we possibly can like many hospitals we have had staff shortages um, as our staff have been impacted by COVID um, as is common in the community at the moment but please don't delay seeking treatment. Uh, we're here.
0: Really important message, I think. And we've had lots of support on our social media channels and, you know, families calling up to say that they are really encouraging for all the hard work that the staff are doing. But the big message being, as you say, we are open for business. This does not change the situation for us here. So please, if you need to, yeah. do access healthcare from the RCH or anywhere else that is appropriate for you. Excellent, Sarah. So good to chat. Any final thoughts or words for families listening today?
1: Oh, I know it's been a very challenging two years. And I think like everyone, we hoped that 2022 would be different with so many people vaccinated. It has been a, a rough start to 2022, but hopefully we're able to, to say that you know we are dealing with COVID in kids um, and we've learnt a lot about it over the last two years and hopefully can offer some degree of reassurance to families out there.
0: Thanks so much, Sarah. Fantastic to have you here to join us today and share some of your insights. Thanks for having me. To you listening at home, thanks for tuning in. I hope that we've had some useful advice here for you today. Please join us next week when we'll be talking a bit more about back to school and what that's going to look like for Australian kids in 2022. And as always, if you found this episode helpful, please share it with your friends and family. Thanks for listening.
1: The information provided in this podcast is general in nature and is intended to support, not replace, discussions with your doctor or healthcare professional. If you are concerned about your child, please consult your local healthcare professional for further advice.